You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast, uh, the news and observer's political podcast. We're coming to you uh, in the aftermath of an eventful election in North Carolina, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, presidential politics, about uh, the ongoing uh, elections, not still not over in the governor's race, um, about some of the other races on the ballot, including state Supreme Court and, uh, and Council of State and legislature. And of course, we'll have a headliner of the week. Uh, with me are Colin Campbell, Craig Jarvis, Lynn Bonner, and Rob Christensen today. Uh, Colin, why don't you start off uh, how did uh, how did Donald Trump win North Carolina? So this was a you know I think a much of a surprise here. Maybe not quite as much of a surprise here as it was uh, nationally. Um, the polling indicators that we had seen um, going into uh, the election here in North Carolina, a lot of polls had Hillary Clinton up by about a point or two, um, and. Uh, Ultimately, uh, I think there was maybe one or two polls that, uh, in North Carolina that correctly forecast that, that Trump would carry the state. Um, but they, they sort of initially looked like outlier polls. They ended up being the, the actual results. Um, I think it was about five or six points that, that Trump had eventually carried the state by. Uh, the state was called fairly early in the evening, which was a surprise to some people. Uh, I remember on Election Day, uh, the Hillary Clinton campaigns uh, – campaign manager said something to the effect that uh, North Carolina might not be called until well late into the night or, or perhaps in several days after. And of course, uh, by about 11 o'clock on election night, we knew that uh, North Carolina had uh, gone into the Trump category uh, on his way to uh, a stunning upset victory nationwide. Um, and since we probably heard plenty of that in, in many other media circles from far smarter people than I am, I won't go too much into the, the national stuff. But um, interesting thing looking in some of the, the breakdown of the uh, results here in North Carolina was that there were seven counties that had voted uh, fairly overwhelmingly for uh, Barack Obama back in 2012. Those counties, uh, many of them voted overwhelmingly instead this time for uh, Donald Trump. Some of that probably comes down to turnout. There's places like Robeson County uh, where you saw some drop off in the number of voters. Uh, a lot of that probably due to the flood damage down there. There are people who lost their houses, probably are not um, super motivated voters um, in an election like this. Uh, but there were several other counties, uh, most notably Richmond County down by the South Carolina border, Gates County up in northeastern North Carolina along the Virginia border, um, as well as uh, I think Bladen County uh, down in the southeast and uh, a couple of others, uh, Granville as well. That um, One thing that I have in common when you look at the sort of economic indicators is uh, unemployment, some of the highest in the state, uh, median income is fairly low. These are places uh, that lost pretty major manufacturing uh, industries over the past couple decades. Uh, a lot of those jobs have not returned. Uh, so these are sort of the, the counties that uh, I think nationally proved to be fertile ground for Trump's candidacy uh, and some of his promises to uh, improve some of these uh, economic issues that have, have been in play for, for quite some time now. Um, and that seems to be uh, what's driving the, the change in, in those particular counties. Uh, what was interesting to me uh, looking a little bit down ballot on, on these these particular counties I'm, I've been watching, uh, Governor McCrory actually did about as well as Trump in some of these counties. Um, and I think a lot of that is that the uh, harm of HB2 and its related economic losses that uh, really hurt McCrory in the urban counties uh, didn't really affect the rural counties. And in fact, some of them, uh, I talked to some uh, local uh, political folks down there who felt like House Bill 2 might have actually helped McCrory in those counties because you have a lot of evangelical Christians and uh, more socially conservative folks who uh, saw all the stuff in the news and, and they, they liked what they saw the governor doing. So um, it's an interesting part of that and uh, certainly worth keeping an eye on, on some of these counties because I think that's one of the things that, that often happens uh, uh, with the media is we, we don't get out to some of these places as often as we would like. So sometimes it's, it's hard to keep tabs on what people are thinking and, and what sort of issues are, are on their minds and affecting their lives down in these places. Rob, uh, you're writing a column for the weekend about uh, uh, about all this. What uh, What comes to mind as you think about why Trump won? Well, I think it goes to uh, the two North Carolinas, and we here in the Triangle uh, are living in a bubble, uh, and as and that's also true in Charlotte, in that we're doing pretty well here. We've got uh, 
you see construction cranes everywhere, and uh, we have had uh, a large influx of people, and uh, a lot of companies here are benefiting from globalization. And this is these metropolitan areas went for Hillary Clinton, but um, the the areas outside of the metropolitan areas are a whole different story, and it goes to the two North Carolinas and uh, the. Uh, broad swaths of North Carolina. I think it's been like 49 counties have lost their population in uh, the last several years. And they have never recovered from the recession. These are places where textiles and furniture plants have closed and the, and the jobs that the, the, the people have gotten jobs who have gotten jobs have gotten really bad jobs and have not paid as well. And so it's not just unemployment. It's, it's uh, it's the whole, if you look at what life is like for a lot of blue-collar America, and that includes a lot of North Carolina, it has really gone down. So you see in statistics like uh, suicides and health and divorces and, and drug abuse. And, you know, uh, and so there, there's two stories going on in America, and that's true in North Carolina right now, is that white-collar America is doing pretty well and blue-collar America is doing pretty poorly. And, and I think there were a lot of people who, who were looking for change. So you look about, talk about the, some counties went for, and some people went for Obama as a change agent in 2008, and some of those same people were voting for a change agent um, for, uh, uh, for, uh, for Trump in, in 2016. And it, there doesn't seem to be a connection, but that is the connection. So uh, in a year, and, and, and most people beginning in this election thought that that uh, Trump would be a drag on the Republican ticket because he's so controversial, but it turned out to be not to be true. In fact, he actually helped Republicans in most places across the state. But that was not true in the governor's race, and that was and that's particularly interesting. And and, and I think I think HB two is is uh, is is one of the major major answers to why that's the case. In that uh, uh, the governor put a lot of his uh, 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 hopes in the basket of, uh, of, uh, of, of the economic recovery, and the statistics are actually are pretty good. I mean, the, the, we're a lot better off than we were four years ago because of the economic recovery. But all the polling showed that people were not feeling it. When people are asked, do you feel better than they are today, today than they did yesterday, they, they, they say no. They think the state's going in the wrong direction. And you had all these stories about uh, plants not coming, uh, companies not coming to North Carolina, or conventions not coming to North Carolina, or, or uh, uh, entertainers not coming to North Carolina. And that all uh, uh, hurt the, the message that McCoy was trying to get out about a North Carolina expansion. And in addition to that, you had, uh, you had Donald Trump going across the state saying how bad things were. So and how he's going to improve uh, what, what 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 this really bad situation? So you had counter messaging from your presidential candidate who campaigned extensively in North Carolina. So that all was hurting, uh, hurting, hurting McCrory, who didn't start out even before HB two in particularly good shape. He was uh, he had his numbers were not particularly good. He's not a beloved governor. He uh, he was seen as somebody who was. Uh, maybe not quite a big, big enough man for the job. He did not have what uh, the Marines call command presence. Uh, he seemed like a guy who was being pushed around by the Republican legislature. Uh, he was helped a little bit during the hurricane when he was seen as somebody who was helping, uh, helping with uh, rescue operations and, re and recovery operations. But he had, they had, they had, there was a little bit of a stature gap there with McCrory. And I think people made up their minds early on McCrory, just like they made up their minds early on Beverly Perdue, and he's had a hard time uh, recovering from, uh, uh, from the early perceptions that were locked in early on him. It's a, it's a good segue into the governor's race, and I'd uh, be interested in uh, Craig and Lynn uh, talking about um, why, why do you think uh, McCrory is down right now? We don't know for sure that he's lost, but he's down by about 5,000 votes, and we'll talk about uh, what's next on that in a minute. But uh, what do you think were the factors in, uh, in, in him doing so poorly? Well, I would just repeat what Rob said and maybe throw in that uh, the governor <clears throat> may not have defined himself uh, all that well. He, he uh, was touting the economic recovery. He had this bond program that should have was successful. I mean, the, he got the voters to pass that earlier this year that uh, will build a lot of educational uh, 
infrastructure. And uh, uh, yet at the same time, <coughs> he was pushing him, <coughs> pardon me, he was pushing himself as a uh, social conservative, almost increasingly so at the end by embracing HB2 and telling people that, uh, that if they ever thought he, he was some middle of the road guy, they were mistaken. And so I don't know, I think there was just maybe a lack of focus there in terms of, in terms of the why. I don't know that it was anything Cooper did because Cooper was a little bit of a non-entity himself. I don't know how, how much uh, he created an, an identity around the state, but. Uh, and McCrory also yeah. lost big league in Mecklenburg County. Here's my Trump reference. Um, Big league. Yeah, and there's also a local issue there of toll roads. And he uh, really got saddled with that and was unable to recover. Um, and that contributed to a huge loss there. Um, so I think it might be a combination of HB2 and, um, and tolls in Mecklenburg that really uh, sunk him in the ur biggest urban counties. And I don't know how uh, long people's memories are, but really there's been one thing, <clears throat> one thing after another uh, in his tenure in office. I mean, there was the coal ash spill right off the bat, which tied him into Duke Energy, his former employer, and was he being, uh, you know, protecting them in some way? That's kind of an issue that's dogged him throughout. And uh, there were a number of ethics allegations that the uh, that the left put up uh, that he had to that he had to fight. So. It's really, uh, I've been covering him the whole time, and it's, it's been one controversy after another. So he certainly had a lot of negatives attached to his name. Yeah. Produced this weird phenomenon <clears throat> of people voting for Trump Cooper. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and we've heard from a couple people who, who said, whether it's because of tolls or HB2 or anything else, that, uh, um, that they, they voted for Trump but, but couldn't get behind, um, couldn't get behind McCrory. He, he did... Uh, back Trump, and it seemed like that was the smart bet. Uh, it, Richard Byrd did the same thing, and uh, it seemed like that paid off for, for maybe he did better than he would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so what does come next? Uh, it's not over yet for McCrory. We've got uh, uh, a number of uh, provisional ballots left out there, maybe as many as 60,000 provisional ballots. Is that enough, Craig, to swing the election, do you think? Uh, I don't think so. I, th I think it's enough to, but I, as I understand historical trends, that's not likely to happen. Um, we're going to have somewhere, the guess is now, between 55 and something over 60,000 provisional ballots. Uh, in the 2012 election, half of those were thrown out, and I guess that's typical. Typical. Uh, so say you've got 30,000 ballots split in some way between the two candidates. It has tended to favor Democrats a little more than Republicans uh, in terms of counting provisional ballots. So for Cooper, the, he should be able to maintain his margin, if not increase it. At least that's what they're thinking. And they, you know, they, Cooper flat out said he won on election night. He got up there with his wife and daughters, and they were all tearful and crying and happy. And he declared victory, and it was sort of just the opposite. I was at the uh, Republican, uh, uh, with the Republicans on the, on uh, Tuesday night, and it was just one wave of success after another as Fox News broke the latest, you know, Trump takes this state, Trump, and it was just a raucous evening till the very end. It just kind of petered out when it became clear there wasn't going to be a resolution of the uh, of the governor's race. And so it's a 5,000 vote difference now about. Uh, he needs, uh, as long as the, the gap is less than 10,000 votes, uh, they can have a recount. But both sides are bringing in very high dollar uh, legal legal fee legal term, uh, firms, uh, and so this is a long way from over, is what it feels like to me. I was on the uh, on the opposite side of the mirror, right. uh, <laughs> and uh, with the Democrats who were watching MSNBC and uh, doing a lot of crying, and um, actually, you know, you had kind of like a somber end with uh, McCrory coming out. Um, but uh, the end where um, where Cooper gave his giant victory speech, I mean, they were handing out the cards. It was like, okay, well, mm -hmm. we got something. Actually, Mike Morgan came out earlier and said, you know, uh, he had a, uh, a win running away, and uh, that gave them a bit of a boost too. But, um, yeah, just, uh, just exact opposite nights uh, for the Republicans and Democrats. And so we're left in this limbo. We really, nobody's quite sure, you know, we can't quite celebrate if you're Cooper, you can't quite give up if you're McCrory. 
and both sides agree that this is proper. You've got to count the provisional ballots, make sure every vote is counted, but it's just, uh, you know, the, the other thing the McCrory campaign is doing is raising the specter of some kind of a miss, uh, um, uh, something inappropriate that might have happened somewhere, possibly in Durham, because there were 90,000 votes <clears throat> that got stuck apparently in a backlog that was created when there was some uh, machinery breakdown. But 90,000 votes kind of showed up at the end of the night, and that was enough to get the, the uh, McCrory people to do more than raise their eyebrows. They were doing a lot of finger pointing. <clears throat> so what are these provisional ballots? Uh, who casts those, and uh, are they just sitting in somebody's drawer right now, uh, waiting to be counted? What is the kind of security <laughs> I, that's being I hope taken? Not. To the state, the, the state issued guidance earlier in the week for saying to all the county boards that these all the ballots have to be secured and a chain of custody maintained. If you're in Wake County, you've got a big warehouse with all sorts of alarms and uh, live stream video on the inside and security guards. I'm not sure. You know, if there are some counties, they're just stuck in somebody's drawer uh, with hopefully at least locked. I mean, uh, can we all watch know. the live stream video like they yeah, have? We it, could. So. <laughs> but so what happens now is they've, they've got to go through the staffs or the staff for each county is going through all these provisional ballots, which were cast if somebody was out of precinct or they, you know, there was some problem with why they didn't show up at the poll on the roll, roll call list when they went to vote. But the, uh, so the county staffs will make a recommendation to those county boards uh, sometime before Friday uh, about which ones to save and which, which ones to reject and which ones to count. And then on Friday, these the final vote canvassing certification of, uh, of all the votes at the county I've level. I watched the counting of some of these votes um, in Wake County like four years ago. Uh, and it can be quite contentious, especially when you get to out of uh, overseas ballots or and military ballots, um, trying to decide exactly what the person meant when they cast their vote. So it's not always a straightforward process. And I've seen some uh, split votes when people look at a particular ballot and say, well, th was this a vote for... This person, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think we can say that. So it's not it's not always uh, a unanimous decision about who voted for whom. Well, I think it should be pointed out that the, that the election machinery is controlled by Republicans. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so uh, talk about it being rigged or so, so forth by McCrory's people should be, uh, you should keep in mind that the whole process is controlled by <coughs> Republicans. and. And the whole process has resulted in Republican victories in all these other races. And the other thing to think about is, is there's almost, almost never it does do these provisional ballots uh, result in overturning elections. I mean, that's been the track record. It's just, uh, I can't, I'm sure it's happened at some point, but I can't remember it. And uh, so this is, uh, uh, it's, we really can't, ex it's un it seems to me highly unlikely that this will result in any uh, changes in what we saw election night uh, based on past experience. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, Colin, do you want to weigh in at all on yeah, governor's race? Yeah, I was race? just jumping on, uh, pointing out that, the, you know, we've got a number of things in limbo, not just the governor's race. Um, and you can kind of rank them in terms of the propensity to change with the provisional ballots. Uh, the governor's race, I think, is perhaps the second closest race in the state. The closest margin is actually the state auditor's race, where incumbent Democrat Beth Wood has a fairly tiny lead in sort of a, a decimal point percentage range. Um, and that's one where uh, the, her opponent, Republican Chuck Stuber, has not conceded. They're waiting to see the results of the provisional ballots. Next in line, you have the governor's race, so that would take even more votes to flip. And beyond that, you have the race for state attorney general. Josh Stein appears to have uh, won that pretty handily, but uh, Republican Buck Newton has not conceded just yet. He also wants to see all those votes. And on the far end of the spectrum, and this one's a really, really long shot, uh, Insurance Commissioner Wayne Goodwin, the Democrat who appears to have lost to Republican Mike Causey. Goodwin has not uh, conceded yet, although his margin, I think, is up around a percentage point or so, uh, stuff or so behind. So that's 
would really take a huge upset and some um, surprising results in the provisional ballots in order to, to flip things his direction. But certainly a lot up in the air um, in the next week, and, and we just have to hope that uh, things get resolved in, in a week or so and not, you know, show up in court and drag on for weeks, if not months, if uh, there are some possible irregularities that the uh, lawyers that both sides in the governor's race have hired uh, decide that they want to bring out here. And it's clear that we're going to have some new faces in state government after all this. You mentioned Josh Stein uh, potentially uh, winning the attorney general's uh, race. Either way, we're going to have a new face there. Uh, you've got uh, several Republicans uh, who are now going to be uh, taking either open seats or be defeating incumbents in the Council of State. You mentioned Cousy in the insurance commissioner. We well, also Josh have a Stein new super- kind, of, kind of like a new old face. I right, mean, yeah. he worked at the AG's office and was uh, a state senator for a long time before he um, resigned to run full-time for AG. So uh, Stein is a bit of a known quantity. Um, Causey and Mark Johnson, less so. I mean, Causey, this was his fifth uh, run for the office. Um, and, uh, you know, try, try again. You know, <laughs> one day you'll make it. Um, <laughs> Mark Johnson um, and Causey uh, was a lobbyist here a while back, so he's somewhat known but um, has no uh, real track record in state government. Mark Johnson, much less known um, uh, here, uh, he was a a school board member in Winston-Salem Forsyth, but um, not uh, anyone known... um, (coughs) you know, within state government circles, but but Dale Falwell, uh, also a known quantity. Very much a known quantity. Yeah. How big of a deal uh, will it be to flip these uh, key council of state offices from Democrat to Republican, if it's insurance commissioner, treasurer, uh, SPI? Uh, how, how big of a difference do you think we'll, we'll see in those? I think we'll see a substantial difference. Um, certainly... Um, with, uh, I spoke to Mike Causey this week, and he sounds like he's going to take a very different tack toward um, the rate bureau and auto insurance, which was also always kind of a big um, issue, public issue for for Goodwin. Um, Causey sounds like he's going to go a a different way, um, and. Set, he's, his talking points are very much like uh, those that we hear from uh, some of the insurance companies who want um, a different way for uh, auto insurance to be handled in the state. Um, Johnson's still a bit unknown. He's not talking very much about how he's going to handle DPI, but now with um, DPI entirely controlled by Republicans. We have a Republican majority board, now a Republican running the department. There's going to be, there are going to be changes there. Um, Dale Falwell, um, I'm still not certain about yet. He's yeah. been a big critic of the fees that uh, the treasurer's office right. pays. Yeah. I mean, I think that will be somewhat of a shift in that he wants to do a lot more of the investment managing um, in-house as opposed to hiring Wall Street. And, and really this sort of, in a sense, was a repudiation of Janet Cowell because Dan Blue III was sort of the anointed successor Democrat to Janet Cowell pretty much uh, throughout his campaign made it clear that he, he kind of wanted to go the same route she was going in terms of how the, the retirement funds were, were being managed. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, Dale Falwell's changes involve and what actually that ends up meaning for the health of the pension fund. It may end up being a big success or it may be one of those things where you get a year or two down the road and then people have to reassess whether the, the changes are working or not. Most of these we're talking about are are, um, big Republican wins or very, very close, narrow elections uh, favoring Democrats. Um, The big surprise seemed to be uh, the Supreme Court, where uh, Mike Morgan uh, defeated the incumbent by uh, nine percentage points, I believe. Uh, Let's see, Mike Morgan, 54 percent, Robert Edmonds, 46 percent. So pretty substantial. Um, Lynn, what, what do you attribute that to? Um, that the uh, there was no partisan designation um, when on the ballot for uh, the Supreme Court, you notice that um, Republicans swept the uh, appeals court uh, elections where there were partisan designations and and uh, an incumbent 
uh, lost her seat. Um, so people really don't know who the judges are, um, who the candidates are. They're not, uh, they don't say very much about their positions um, when they're campaigning other than conservative judge. Uh, so people don't know very much about uh, who they are or, or or what they'll do, but they understand R&D. And if you uh, don't have either one of those designations and draw your name and you're the first name on, on uh, the first of two, then, um, you know, I think that really helped him. Yeah. There's been a lot of speculation and rumor going around about what might happen now with the court, uh, since there is an option that the Republicans apparently have uh, that where they could keep control of the court. Uh, tell us about that. There is a lot of rumor and speculation about um, the election uh, results mean that Democrats now hold a majority on the Supreme Court. Um, now, the Republicans uh, constitutionally are uh, able to add two seats, um, and there would be two associate justices to be appointed by the governor. So there is a lot of talk here, and so far unsubstantiated, let me emphasize that, but uh, some uh, talk that um, Republicans um, before the end of the year will um, add two seats to the Supreme Court, which would allow Governor McCrory to appoint two more associate justices and swing uh, the partisan uh, divide back toward Republicans. Okay. And again, we, uh, we haven't had confirmation that no they're confirmation. actually considering this, let alone going to do it. Right. Uh, it's something that sounds like um, some, some people, maybe Democrats and others, may be worried about more than... Uh, but we've, uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned uh, to, to see what happens with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the, in the legislature, really not much changed. The, uh, both houses kept their um, supermajorities. So uh, Roy Cooper, if he is the next governor, is going to have a, a real challenge on his hands uh, in uh, uh, um, dealing with a, a legislature that can uh, overturn his, his, override his vetoes. Um, but uh, there were some interesting results. There was a lot of speculation that HB2 might doom some of the uh, lawmakers in urban counties. And a little bit of that did happen, right, Colin? Uh, yeah, it's just so that this, it got uh, canceled out to some extent. Yeah, some so there were several events. pretty uh, big losses for incumbent Republicans here in Wake County. Uh, Representative Marilyn Avila uh, went down to um, Joe John, who was a Democrat running against her. Same happened to Gary Pendleton, another Republican representative from here in Raleigh. Um, H- lost to Cynthia Ball. Yeah, so uh, uh, in both of those races, HB2 became a big issue. The um, opponents really tried to connect them to that. And, and by the end, Gary Pendleton was actually running from HB2, pointing out that he had not actually voted for it. He didn't show up to the special session where they passed it um, and, and trying to sort of distance himself from the issue. It didn't end up being uh, enough to save him. Uh, some other folks uh, kept their seats in fairly narrow fashions. Uh, Representative Chris Malone did fine. Uh, Representative Nelson Dollar was in a, a tighter-than-expected race, but he ended up uh, doing just fine. Same goes for uh, Senator Chad Barefoot um, as well. And then down in Mecklenburg County— And Tamara Beringer won narrowly. Um, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, she was—that uh, was kind of a nail-biter there. Yeah, and I think right. that's actually— I one think of, they've conceded have, yet. Yeah. Uh, Susan uh, Evans has conceded. Yeah, that's oh, another right. one where they're, they're waiting on the provisional ballots right. to come in before uh, we get a concession um, out of one of the candidates there. Uh, and then down in Charlotte, a couple of House seats flipped. Um, yeah, Rob— um, Brian. Rob Bryan Brian, lost, right. and then the seat that used to be held by Charles Jeter up in the Huntersville area, mm-hmm. uh, he had resigned. The Republicans had placed, replaced him on the ballot, um, but Chaz Beasley, the Democrat, ended up winning that one. That, of course, w- would have been nice for the Democrats, and that could have meant uh, four seats being picked up in the House. However, that ended up getting canceled out because you had, uh, out in the western part of the state, uh, Democratic Representative Joe Sam Queen uh, lost to a Republican named Mike Clampett um, in a fairly close battle out there. Um, in the Senate, um, there was a seat down in Robeson and Columbus counties where uh, Democratic Senator Jane Smith um, was defeated by a, a Republican attorney uh, from that area. I talked to him yesterday. His name is Danny Britt, um, and he basically said that um, 
one of his biggest messages was in that area was that um, having a Democrat as your representative in the legislature was ineffective, that, you know, this uh, Senator Smith couldn't get anything done because she wasn't in the majority party and so to elect him instead. So he, he said that ended up being a, a workable message. And, of course, he was in a, a Republican wave year in that part of the state. So that, that pushed him in. Um, I think that one of the other changes was the seat formerly held by, held by Ken Waddell, who was one of the more moderate Democrats in the House, uh, that flipped to Republican control, um, and then there, I think there were a couple of others. They lost one in uh, one House seat in Harnett and Lee County, too. Oh, that's right. So. It was uh, Brad Salmon, who was a, a one-term Democrat, who had actually had an upset two years ago over a Republican incumbent in that same district, um, ended up going down in defeat. So it ended up being a complete wash. Uh, so the old Paul Tyne seat is now mm-hmm. Republican. Yeah, right. so he was the unaffiliated who caucused with Republicans, who used to be a Democrat, if you can follow that uh, confusing <laughs> chain of events. Uh, now that seat uh, has been taken over uh, by a Republican, pretty much keeping the, the, the same balance of power. So for Democrats, uh, they clearly poured a ton of resources into these urban uh, counties and urban legislative races uh, to try to flip some of those seats and, and seize on some weaknesses among incumbents uh, around HB2 and, and some other um, issues. But uh, they ended up neglecting, I guess, uh, on some level, these these rural seats where they were more vulnerable, and, and ended up the Republicans did just fine there. So it didn't really matter for the Republicans. Mm-hmm. They still have the supermajority, and you know, it, it's worth for the people who are celebrating the potential of a Roy Cooper victory. I, I think you know, I hate to throw cold water on your parade, but it really is not going to mean a whole lot for uh, the state of politics in the state. Um, it'll be very similar to the the final two years of Bev Perdue's term, where. Republicans in the legislature pretty much did what they wanted. The governor then vetoes it. Uh, the, the bill comes back. It gets overridden. And, you know, it, it's just an extra step in the process in, in many respects, And unless somehow Roy Cooper can uh, flake off a few Republicans here or there on a, a bill that's uh, perhaps a little more controversial on, on the Republican caucus. Yeah, and it seems like, if anything, uh, Craig, Cooper probably has a better shot of of making change in uh, in administrative uh, ways in the in the state agencies, right? Uh, what, what, what do you think he could he could actually accomplish? Well, you know what what I what I recall of the last two years of the Purdue administration is that she did uh, you know veto a lot of bills. I forget how many, but they weren't all automatically overridden. There was a lot of you know gamesmanship that had to start then branching out and cutting deals with different uh, with uh, people within your party or in the in the other parties and. That's where a lot of these, uh, where Speaker Tillis famously parked a number of these vetoes in the veto garage, as he called it, to be trotted out whenever, uh, whenever they thought they could spring enough votes to do it. So he'll have to look for alliances, just like, uh, uh, just like Purdue. But even you know, any governor has to has to work out some kind of, uh, some kind of arrangement with the legislature. Rob, any thoughts on any of these uh, down ballot races before we uh, before we take a break? Well, not so much on the down-bound races, but I do think it matters uh, that uh, if Roy Cooper is the uh, governor, I th- think it does matter for the Democrats because, uh, you know, the Democrats have really been voiceless here now for the last number of years, and, and, uh, and if they're going to come back, uh, uh, for this, this is an important step, even if, uh, because it m- means that they're going to have a voice in the debate, and even if they, even it's a losing voice, um, it matters to have the governorship, and uh, and the governor does still have a lot of things at his disposal uh, in terms of roads and and jobs and so forth, which he can use to bargain and and maybe change some things in bills and so forth. And so um, he is not uh, the governor is not powerless, even though constitutionally the governor is this is not the strongest governor in the, in in the, in the country. Um, Certainly having a state auditor who is a Republican will certainly uh, be a, a check on any Democratic administration. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's certainly something to, to watch. I think Mark Johnson um, over at the Department of Public Instruction is going to be a much more uh, – will, will be an advocate for uh, things like um, uh, charter schools and maybe uh, vouchers in some instances. And so – we will see uh, a much more uh, vigorous advocacy for the sorts of uh, school policies that Republicans and conservatives have been advocating. And so I think we'll see a different kind of a voice coming out of there and make it easier for the legislature to move forward on those sorts of issues. 
So I think that that will be a, a I think an important change. I think uh, also we won't if if in fact Cooper and Stein are victorious, we won't have that governor attorney general opposition dynamic that we have had currently that we're. Uh, where, uh, which is mostly caught up in the uh, in the race for governor, but we won't. We will have. We would have the governor and the attorney general on the same side, uh, and I guess in opposition to the legislature, which has been having to defend a number of its law, uh, a number of its actions in court. So that that would just change that dynamic. You know, and I think it makes a difference. Uh, assuming uh, Josh Stein is the. Uh, ultimate winner in the Democratic uh, AG's race. So as we go forward and, and, and the various leaders talk about HB2 and whether to repeal all of it or part of it or so forth, it, it makes a difference who the AG is, I think, in terms of the debate. Uh, uh, Buck Newton was a very strong advocate for HB2 and, and, and would stand up in speeches and make some pretty strong statements. And so it makes a difference in part of the public debate, whether your attorney general is standing up there leading the cause uh, in, in favor of HB2 or leading the cause against HB2. So I think that has an impact on how people perceive that. We've been talking all about state government, of course, but uh, we shouldn't neglect the fact that at the federal level, North Carolina did help Republicans keep the U.S. Senate. And uh, Colin, I wonder if you have any thoughts about uh, how Richard Burr managed to, to defeat Deborah Ross. He seemed to um, not only outpoll uh, McCrory, but outpolled Trump, and uh, really did not have uh, as big of a problem uh, cruising to re-election as some of the polls indicated he he might. So, what happened there? Yeah, this was an interesting race because I mean, you kind of look at the messaging of the Donald Trump campaign, and his slogan at the end was "Drain the Swamp of Washington D.C." which almost played into Democrat Deborah Ross's whole message in the Senate race was that Burr was this Washington insider who's been caught up with uh, major industries and, and taking money from them and enriching himself and all these other sort of allegations that were made at him in these very expensive uh, TV ads that uh, various uh, outside groups were spending millions of dollars on. In the end, um, Bird did just fine with his extremely low-key form of campaigning where he didn't tell the media where he was going to be and uh, just kind of went to, to small towns and shook hands and, and that sort of thing while the, the ad sort of played out. I mean, I think Deborah Ross was clearly hurt by uh, the ads highlighting her ACLU career, um, uh, pointing to her concerns about the sex offender registry. I think that uh, made it hard for, for Ross to sort of establish herself um, as uh, the right candidate for for the job uh, as someone who you know up until this year was was largely unknown uh, it, you know it's it's interesting sort of to play fantasy politics a little bit and wonder what the the ads would have been like if one of the other uh, Democrats running in that Senate primary who didn't have as much of a um, background in in sort of liberal causes and liberal issues had, had run you know would would things have turned out differently probably not just by the um, sheer margin by which Burr ended up uh, winning that race. Uh, but that's something I think we saw across the country was that uh, while voters were very strong on Donald Trump, uh, they were often very strong on Republicans all the way down the ballot, whether those were incumbents or not. And so the, the makeup of Congress in general uh, really hasn't shifted that much. And, and Richard Burr getting another term, uh, which we should know will be his last term. He's uh, said he does not plan to run again in 2022 will be when his term is up. Um, it shows that, you know, Congress will be about the same. How they'll work with Donald Trump, who knows? And they, they certainly didn't drain the swamp of any of the North Carolina incumbents. All 12 uh, returned to their seats, most by overwhelming margins. And Yeah, uh, the one open seat went to the Republican, which was what was sort of expected there. Yeah, um, although in that case, he is a new, uh, a real newcomer, first-time candidate, uh, a gun shop owner. Ted uh, Budd. Ted Budd. Um, so it'll be interesting to uh, to see what he does as he, he gets to D.C., um, but uh, unless there's any final thoughts, we'll uh, take a break and then we'll come back with Headliner of the Week. Stay with us, please. Wow. And First Lady Ann McCrory. And First Lady Ann McCrory. <laughs> All right, little Tom Petty. We are running into one of the most unique democratic issues, which is the strength of our country and our state. And the democratic process is going to proceed in North Carolina for a while. 
And um, first of all, I need to congratulate Donald Trump for winning North Carolina. And my good friend Mike Pence, who uh, just called me. I also want to congratulate uh, Richard Burr, who deserves re-election. And all the other members of Council State, I'm very, very proud of our Lieutenant Governor, too. And I'm also very proud of Dale Falwell, who's done absolutely great. Okay, this is where we're at. This is where we're at. The process is continuing right here in North Carolina. The election is not over in North Carolina. That's why we've delayed coming out here. Let me tell you where we're at right now. There are still some precincts that are open tonight that have not turned in their votes. So we haven't got those votes in yet. We just had a major um, new vote coming out of Durham, North Carolina in the last uh, 40 minutes. They apparently, um, we apparently, there was a sudden emergence of over 90,000 votes that were not counted this morning that were counted about uh, 35 minutes ago. And uh, hold on, this is the process we're going through. We're going to check everything. We're going to make sure that every vote counts in North Carolina. And uh, to ensure that every vote counts, there is a process for these types of things. And there's a process called provisional ballots. And we have no idea, no one knows how many provisional ballots there are out there at this point in time. It could be in the thousands. We do not know. I think in the primary there may have been 40,000 provisional ballots. I don't have the exact number in front of me. So we've got to let that process work, um, and we've got to respect the election system because no one respects democracy more than Governor Pat McCrory and Ann McCrory, okay? We've been doing this since I was 32 years old. So what the next process is, is there's going to be a, um, a canvas of votes. And the earliest date, most like, that we'll find out about this election, the earliest date will be November the 18th. So let me tell you what we're going to do between now and November 18th. First of all, we're going to make sure every vote counts during this canvas in all 100 counties. And we're going to do just that. And we're going to need your help. And the other thing I'm going to do, along with my team, is we've got people that are still suffering from Hurricane Matthew. And uh, we've got some extreme people going through much more stressful things than, than what myself and Roy Cooper are going through right now and his team. Both teams, I'm sure, are going, what's, what's the end result of this governor's election? But we're going to fight for every vote between now and November 18th, okay? So I'm extremely proud of what we've accomplished in North Carolina. I'm extremely proud of our record. I'm extremely proud of the Carolina comeback, and uh, we're going to do this the right way. And part of the right way is between now and November 18th, we'll have people throughout the state making sure that every vote counts. And in the meantime, we're going to try to help those people in Princeville, our citizens in Princeville, in uh, Fayetteville, in Lumberton. People have lost their homes, and I'm going to encourage you to give money to help those people who have lost their home. And I'm going to enjoy both parties to help us do just that. All right? I also now, on behalf of Ann and I, I just want to thank you all so much. Because being governor of the greatest state in the United States of America is a great honor. And we plan to be governor in a second term right here in North Carolina. Thank you, and God bless each one of you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Thank you.
that people waited in long lines to vote and to allow their voice to be heard. So I'm humbled by that. Thank you so much. Cast is back. We're ready to talk about our headliners of the week. Uh, hard to believe anybody is going to beat Donald Trump for this week's headliner of the week, but uh, I'm ready to, to hear some nominees. So let's start with uh, Colin. Who's your headliner of the week? All right, I'm going with somebody who kind of uh, uh, has, has tried several times to uh, to get into a uh, higher office um, and has not succeeded in the past, despite uh, having a lot of advantages from a from an early age. Um, and I'm not talking about Donald Trump on this one. I'm talking about uh, Phil Berger Jr., who won his race for uh, Court of Appeals. Um, he, of course, is the son of uh, Phil Berger, the head of the state Senate. Um, and Phil Berger Jr., after being, I think, a district attorney up in Rockingham County, uh, ran a couple years back in the Republican primary for Congress, uh, fell short to uh, Mark Walker, who is a pastor and was, was not expected to be the, the top candidate in that um, Phil Berger Jr. then gets appointed to, I think, an administrative law judge position um, by the governor, <laughs> uh, likely aided a little bit by his uh, his father having some uh, power, and then runs for a court of appeals this year, uh, unseating Linda Stevens, who is a fairly longtime uh, Democratic member of the, the court of appeals, uh, aided by that Republican wave and, and having the Republican label next to his name, but uh, will finally be an election victory for uh, Phil Berger Jr., and I suspect uh, between this position and the um, nature of, of who his family relations are, we'll, we'll be hearing more from him in the future. Okay, Phil Berger Jr., uh, not, not a great year for uh, political dynasties uh, uh, at the national level in this election, uh, but uh, here at the state level, I guess we split because uh, Dan Blue the third did uh, did not win his his race for treasurer, but Phil Berger Jr., uh, one of the newest uh, members, or the newest member, I guess, on the, the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Um, Craig, who's your headliner of the week? Well, I actually don't know my headliner's name, but 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 I'm telling you, this happened. I was with the Kane uh, Keen uh, uh, campaign on uh, Monday, and we were up at a Circle K in North Raleigh, waiting for him to show up so we could hook up with the entourage. And there's like there was a couple Democratic operatives there, and a couple reporters, and this this uh, middle-aged African-American gentleman was pouring coffee and said, are you politicians? And, and we said, no, no, but here's the whole story. And, and, and we kind of assumed he might be a simpatico fig figure with the Democrats that were there. But he said, well, nice to meet you, but I'm a Trump fan. I'm a Trump man. I knew him in New York, and I know what he did there. I know what he built. And uh, really, in retrospect, uh, unless I'm wrong, I think exit polling showed that Trump didn't do as bad with African-Americans as m might have been expected. Uh, but, but this encounter with this one guy, anyway, was something that I thought was uh, against the grain, but not so much. Okay. Uh, Trump voter, unnamed Trump voter here. Uh, so we've got Phil Berger, Jr., and uh, Craig's unnamed Trump voter, uh, <laughs> Lynn, who's your headliner of the week? My headliner is going to be the battalion of lawyers that's going to descend on the state looking at uh, ballots and votes for uh, the uh, gubernatorial candidates. Um, one of, uh, I had an interview who said, uh, interview with someone who said it was going to be like um, 
Bush versus Gore without the hanging chads. So we have a lot to look forward to here in North Carolina. I'll, I'm going to go with the lawyers. All right. Very uh, high-priced lawyers will be descending on us. And, uh, and as Craig, I think, mentioned, we, we, Governor McCrory has even set up a legal defense fund that people can, can he, contribute to. Not only a legal to, defense so. fund, but he's asked for volunteers, too. To, I think they're, they're all trying to staff these uh, county board meetings. So, uh, yeah, right. And with 100 county boards yeah. having to hold meetings between now and the 18th, uh, that would be uh, a staffing nightmare. So. Um, okay, well, we've got Phil Berger Jr., we've got the Trump voter, and we've got the army of lawyers that we're about to be seeing. Uh, Rob, who's your headliner of the week? Uh, Blue-collar workers, because they were behind, they fueled a uh, political revolution that uh, elected Donald Trump and whose coattails elected uh, Republicans uh, all across uh, the ballot and all across the country. All right. So blue-collar workers who uh, went for Trump. Uh, so we've got Phil Berger Jr., we've got the Trump voters, lawyers, and blue-collar workers. Nobody actually picked Donald Trump, so I can't, uh, by the, our bylaws and constitution, I cannot pick him. Um, but uh, I guess w with, uh, with Trump voters and blue-collar workers, we're, we're getting pretty close. So I'll sort of uh, uh, say the Trump voter is, is our headliner of the week, and uh, uh, all the the voters who um, ushered in a, a, a new, uh, maybe a new era in, in, in American politics, but uh, definitely made a, a sea change uh, by electing Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, so that's all we have for today for Domecast. Uh, join, us, uh, join us again next week. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.